fear, uh, that we're to fear God and worship Him and serve Him, and not fear man who might be able to kill the body, but fear Him that would kill the body and soul, or fear Him who could, not fear Him who killed the body, but He who could kill the body and soul. He, who holds the keys to eternal life? That's where our fear, our dread, our concern needs to be, and be sure we are in good uh, alignment with Him, because He's the one who can take care of us, who can protect us, and He does give us instruction as to what to do when these circumstances begin to come down upon us. And uh, I, I want to go a little more into that today. Uh, we discussed last week somewhat this thing of the zombie attacks and the Nephilim and the so-called giants that are half demon and half man. And uh, I began to show you a bit that that is not a concern, it is not a fear, it is not a dread or a worry. Uh, a, God is the one to fear, and B, uh, I don't believe there are such things that, that it's becoming quite popular out in the world to consider... Uh, obscure scriptures that are hard to understand, the plain ones that are easy to understand, they don't pay much attention to, but they want to build this doctrine. And I want to continue a little on the thought today of where the danger on this earth comes from and what God expects us to do. I think those are important considerations. Uh, We need to know what to do, where to be. Uh, what is important as opposed to what might be said on the internet or on talk radio or by Protestants. What does God say? Because he says those that go by his law and the testimony in this book, this is what we can believe. This is what we can trust. We can't trust the ideas of men. Some of their ideas might be somewhat on, but is that where we look? Let's go back where we spent some time last week to Matthew 24, and uh, I want to pick it up here again and lead into some thoughts that are introduced here and some, uh, a few other scriptures to back up and further explain what God says. Uh, we need to be in the know, if you will. Now, there are people on this earth today, you can get on the internet and you can go to prepper sites. And uh, they're talking about preparing uh, food, preparing a, a bug out place to go where it'll be safe, and various things of that nature. And yet, as I've read some of those things, I realize those people have no real idea where this is going. Most of them who are raising an alarm think that there's going to be a disturbance in the country, a financial recession or depression. Uh, having trouble with the sound. Or... Pardon? A little crackly? Oh, okay. It sounds loud to me right now. I guess I have to keep talking for you to get it right. <laughs> I'll just go on. <clears throat> you can fiddle with it. Uh, anyway, they think that there's going to be some kind of disturbance. Some of them think that there will be a year or two or three of trouble. A few of them think it will be ten years before America recovers. Uh, Very few of them understand what is coming down. 
they don't understand this nation is going to be taken into captivity, that a third of us will die of the sword, a third by famine and pestilence, a third taken into slavery, and when it's all said and done, a small amount, under 10%, will actually even physically survive. That's where it's going. And they don't fully grasp that because they don't really understand the Bible and what God says is going to happen. And God even tells us where it's coming from, and we need to understand that as well. Why fear something that is not there to be afraid of? Why not fear him who controls life and death and will only allow men who react to Satan so much uh, latitude? change mics here. Maybe it's the, the mic itself. I don't think it's my throat in this case. Get unwound here. Let's try that and see if that's better. Is that clear? Good. Sometimes the acoustics in this hall are a little hard anyway. Uh, I wonder, just as a thought, if we might not put those dividers back up here. Didn't the sound kind of, uh, didn't they absorb some of the sound? Wasn't it better in here when we had those? Let's, uh, let's keep that in mind, not for the moment, but maybe uh, try that. Because uh, sometimes the sound comes across a little hard in this room. And... Uh, it can make it a little difficult to hear. Anyway, uh, where was I about, about what is truly coming on this country and where the fear needs to be and who it is that actually God is going to allow to do certain things. And we can, we can start listening to the people of this world and fear things that really are not even to be feared and then not fear where we ought to in the, in the right way. So let's go back here. Uh, we, we, he's talking about the signs of his coming and the end of the world. Now, when he says the signs of his coming, we take that as something to educate us. As I said before when we were in Isaiah 7, there are signs there that God gave. And the signs should impart knowledge uh, that is important to us. So here he's talking about the signs of his coming and of the end of the world. And since I firmly believe that we are very near this, perhaps it's something we need to consider and see how our thinking ought to be when this comes upon us, both personally and as a church. He does talk about war and rumor of war and a nation against nation and famine, pestilence and earthquakes, and uh, we see all those things increasing, especially here recently, it seems. I mean, it, it's just everywhere. And these are the beginning of sorrows. Then it says, They'll deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Keep your thumb there for a minute. I'm going to go back to Luke 21. Uh, Luke puts it a little bit differently back here, and I don't think it's a contradiction. Uh, verse 6 of Luke 21. For these things which you behold, 
Now the days will come in the which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Speaking of the temple, and I think it's speaking of the church here at the end, and it is coming to pass, because this is an end-time prophecy. It didn't have to do with uh, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Now that may have been a part of it after he said this, but this is definitely an end-time thing. The end of the world was not near in 70 A.D. or when Christ wrote this. And all these events that were to occur may have seemed like they were happening to those people when uh, Jerusalem was thrown down at that time. But he clearly says these are the signs of the end and of his coming. So the not one stone upon another may have been partially fulfilled uh, back then but it was not in its final essence fulfilled at all. And we have seen the church being torn down and not one stone upon another. And I guess according to Zechariah 11, we're expecting to see some more large organizations bite the dust. Uh, That would appear to be the case until it is pretty much completely destroyed. So if you think we've seen a lot of trouble, I think there is far more to come. Take heed that you be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draws near, go you not therefore after them. There will be those who preach Christ's name, who appear to be from Christ perhaps, but it says don't go after them. Now that is echoed by John when he said, If they come and bring not this doctrine, don't bid them Godspeed, or allow them into your house, or your spiritual or mental house is your mind. So it's not just your physical house here, but don't let that kind of teaching come to your mind. Don't let anybody plant thoughts that are non-biblical. They may sound biblical, but do they really stand up against what the Scripture says? Then said he to the, and that's one reason I'm on this subject a little bit about uh, these zombies from out of space, that this is something that is going through the whole church, not just here, let's say, but something that people are paying attention to because they listen to talk radio or read stuff on the Internet. <coughs> so I want to clarify from God's Word where he says things are coming from. So... You're not supposed to be around or discussing things of this nature with people who go places like that. Uh, When you shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not quite yet. Then said he to them, they'll rise, you'll have these things that Matthew 24 talked about. But before all these, he says, now it says after these things, In Matthew, and it says before them here. That was the point I was going to get to. Is that a contradiction in Scripture? I think probably what that means is uh, Matthew says it'll come after, and Luke says it comes before, so they're going to catch you coming and going. It's probably going to happen some before and some after. Uh, You have to put the Scriptures together to get the whole sense of it, not to look for loose bricks in the Scripture that maybe this is a contradiction. There's a lesson in Bible study right there for us, is that uh, you have to put the Scriptures together to get the whole picture. Anyway, back to Matthew. Uh, Here is a danger now. Uh, It's easy to focus on 
them coming to kill us. But what about danger from within? It is the dissension and problems from within that tear us apart. Persecution from the outside tends to cause people to get closer together. Persecution from within causes people to scatter apart. It's true in families, it's true in clubs, it's true in business, anywhere you want to go. If we're attacked from without, we draw closer together. If we're attacked from within, we fall apart. That is where the most dangerous attack comes from, is from within. Always. We need to bear that in mind. And he talks about it here. He talks about trouble from without and that they would begin to kill us. And then he mentions trouble from within. And then shall many be offended, they'll be upset, uh, disregard maybe what they've heard or are hearing. Uh, maybe they won't like it uh, for various reasons, personal, uh, spiritual, whatever they might be. It says they will be offended. Upset, frustrated, mad, angry, whatever word you want to use in there, they'll take offense, in other words. And shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. Now we're going to see that most of this, or a lot of this, not all of it, but much of it will come from within. Many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. So some are going to say things that will cause people to misunderstand and not grasp the real truth of what's going on, and they'll be deceived by it. It's easy to be deceived by a false doctrine we might hear. Better check it out in the Bible and see what the Bible says. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now he's talking about the church here. Yeah, uh, iniquity is abounding on the earth, and it seems that society is getting more and more violent and vicious day by day almost now. But he's speaking of the church here, uh, because it says, He that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. So he's talking to the disciples in this whole context, not about the world. So he's talking about iniquity abounding within the church. Iniquity can take all kinds of forms. The word iniquity basically means lawlessness or selfishness, is, is what lawlessness is, where we put ourselves ahead of someone else. Because the love of God is to love each other as we would love ourselves and to do to others as we would have them do unto us. But iniquity, then, is putting yourself first which leads to the breaking of all of God's commandments. Uh, selfishness, and Herbert Armstrong had that right. It's a way of give, not a way of get. And when we are in a get mode, uh, it's me first, and I'll do what I want to do, and I'll believe what I want to believe, and I'll treat people how I think they ought to be treated. And uh, iniquity and selfishness causes love to wax cold. Affection, feelings... Uh, emotions, where we become estranged one to another and don't get along well. Iniquity causes that. 
But the love of God is to help, to serve, to give. I hear it said around here once in a while, well, there's no love here. There's love other places. There's no love here. I beg to differ. There is a great deal of love here. There's selfishness here too. There always will be. But there's a lot of the love of God here as well. I see people doing things for each other all the time. Now, that's one thing to say sweet platitudes and have this little sound in our voice that we interpret as love. But Christ didn't put it that way. He was more uh, realistic about it. It's not how your voice sounds. It's what you do. You know, we can say, be ye warmed and filled, be ye taken care of, but if we don't actually take care of needs or people, then Christ says, you're not doing it to me. Let me make a case in point here. I see people who leave things around here on people's doorsteps anonymously, put money in their boxes anonymously, that take care of each other when they see a need uh, without getting credit for it or taking credit for it. I see a lot of people helping each other with all kinds of physical things around here that need done. There's a lot of it that goes on. I see people serving all day long, every day, day in and day out. Uh, That is showing the concern and love for each other that needs to be shown. But let's look at this situation we had with Barbara here before she died. We had uh, various feelings and various things said about that. We had people who thought, there's one of ours. She's part of our family. Because God called her here, opened her mind to the truth, and we became part of the spiritual family of God together. And she's one of ours. So when she got sick, there were those who wanted to pitch in and to help, whether physically uh, caring for her. And I'll tell you, there was a lot of love shown there. There were people who were missing sleep, who were missing work, who were missing health, uh, who served and gave and took care of that elderly sick widow. There is much said in the Bible about taking care of the widows. Others may not have helped with the physical part, changing diapers or cleaning the house or whatever, but they prayed diligently about it. They prepared food and brought it for those who are working. Uh, So you had that element of give and help and serve. And then there was an element that said, well, you ought to send her back to her family. Let them take care of her. Uh, That isn't our job. Or she's got demon problems. I need to stay away. Scared of demons. And we would let a little thing such as a possibility of some demon influence being there uh, keep us from serving because we were afraid of demons. Well, God says take care of. Now, I don't know for sure to this day how much demon influence there might have been there. Because when people are sick and their minds begin to go, they begin to act in strange ways. Andy was far more violent than Barbara was, uh, far more foul-mouthed than Barbara ever got to be. But no one ever 
raise the idea that it might have been demon problems that I ever heard. But he needed care too, and there had to be people cleaning feces off the wall and all kinds of things for Andy. <clears throat> and I think there was a lot of love shown there over a long period of time. Same with Fred. Not quite the same way. His mind was there. But he had to be taken care of and cleaned and washed and diapered and everything else that had to be done. And I'll tell you, brethren, I've seen a lot of love shown around here. Now, let's understand. God told us to leave our father, our mother, our brothers, our sisters, even our own mates in Luke, Matthew, other places, and come and follow him and be part of the spiritual family of God. Now, when somebody has done that and have come to be with God's people, to become melded into the potential bride of Christ, and they've given up those people that they are physically related to to spend time with those they are spiritually related to, that is something that God asks of us. It's something He puts on us as a responsibility. If He called you here, you have a responsibility here. And you cannot run from it. You will run into God Himself sooner or later if you do that. So if someone is sick here, God expects us to take care of them. We are their family on both a spiritual and a physical level. I was discussed to take or send Barbara back to Georgia, and I thought about it. And I knew exactly what would happen. They would put her in either a nursing home or if she were showing psychotic behavior, they would have put her in a mental ward immediately. And there she would have stayed until the day she died. Now I think that it was God's will and maybe a test for us to take care of that woman. and do whatever we could to make her comfortable and help her until the day she died. Now that is the love of God. It requires the love of God to care for somebody and to go through physically what some of you went through to take care of her. It wasn't easy, I'll guarantee you. I know it wasn't. I saw it. I participated to some degree in it. Now, if we did not take care of her, I think we were derelict in our duty before God. Now, if anybody wants to argue that, I say go somewhere and argue, but don't argue it here, not in front of me. I saw too many people show their love for Barbara and for each other and to sacrifice greatly that she be taken care of. And I think that was God's will. And if there were demons there a little bit here and there, off and on, so be it. <coughs> We did what we could to try to get rid of them if they were there. And then I saw people who were spending day and night changing diapers, being accused of demonism themselves, and including me, because we were there trying to take care of that woman. Shame on us if we've had that attitude, and I hope it's repented of and gone at this point.
But don't you try to tell me there's no love around here. There's a lot of it. And you know what else? I know, based on the fruits of what I saw and experienced, that if another one of us gets sick here, or I do, there'll be the people there to take care of us. And they're not going to abandon us the minute we cause them some trouble or some grief or some heartache or a little fear. I know there are people here who are dedicated to taking care of the widow and the orphan and God's people, whether they're widowed or orphaned or not. I've seen it happen, or happen. And I know that that heart and that mind are here. So don't tell me there's no love around here. I don't buy it. Maybe there's not enough. I'll agree with that any day. I don't have enough. You don't have enough. We're working on it. We may be selfish to some degree, and sometimes our selfishness shows more than it does at other times. But we're all working on it, or we wouldn't be here. And if we weren't working on it, we wouldn't have taken care of that poor little gal the way we did. And Fred. And Andy. And uh, Morris, can't say his name. Dennis Morris. Dennis, sorry. My mind's going. I miss it a lot. But uh, there have been a lot of people who have taken care of a lot of people around here. And uh, they care. Yeah, we have enough iniquity and lawlessness in all of us. But this is a warning. This is instruction for us. And I don't mean to be, I'm not upset. I'm just, well, in a way I am. Uh, I want us to recognize the love that we do have. And I want us to realize the dangers in allowing selfishness and lawlessness to occur, which would cause what love we do have to wax cold and we don't care about one another anymore. We need to be here taking care of one another, not running from each other and from the responsibility that God has given us. If he brought you here, he had a reason for it. And if he had a reason for it, you might better listen to him. We were called in the worldwide church of God, weren't we? All right. If, we, if that's what God opened our mind to and called us there, then we were to go to the Methodist church on Sunday, right? <laughs> well, we all know better than that. No, we were to go where God called us, to where we got the understanding that we had. And now God has got a different kind of calling going on. He is going to call people from all over the world to come together to do an end-time work. And if you have been called, your mind opened at some point to be part of that, then you had better consider that it came from God. No man can come except the Spirit of the Father draw him. John 6:44. So if your mind was opened... To the Passover, if it was opened to the calendar, if it was opened to a lot of things that we understand here that are not understood in a lot of places, then God opened your mind to be here. And if you deny that calling or you give that calling up, then you're not in danger from Daryl, you're not in danger from anyone here, you are flirting 
with danger from Almighty God because he is the one who does the calling. He is the one who opens the mind. That's why I'm going to Africa to visit a group of people there. That is because he is opening their minds to understand what we have been teaching and preaching here for the last 12 and since I have for 16 years and over. If God is opening those minds, then I need to do all I can to help them understand what it is that they are being called for. And we need to be sure we make our calling and election sure. God called many under Herbert Armstrong, and we were some of them. Now he is choosing few. And you here are some of the first few that he has chosen to understand what is going on here at the end. Not because you or I are great by any means, not because we're smarter, not because we're necessarily more obedient, but he has his reasons for each and every one of us, and it is an individual matter. And most people who see the things on our website that are there will blow it off immediately. They won't even truly consider or think about or study it through. It's different than what they've believed, some of it, and therefore it can't be right because it's not something they've been taught before. It's dangerous, it's scary. But we need to understand that if we understand what we understand here, it's because God opened our mind to it. And we have a responsibility. We have to answer for it. Do we understand that? You have to answer for what you know. And hopefully we're proving it. Hopefully we proved at each point as they came up. If we didn't, then we're derelict of duty too. He says to prove all things, whether they be of God or not. I don't want you to accept anything I say just because Daryl said it. That's getting less and less popular anyhow. Believe it because you find it in here. And this is the only place we go for, for the most part, isn't it? Is this book. And what I'm preaching is in there. But you better believe that because you checked it out and proved it to be so. If not, when there's trouble or offense or an attitude or whatever it might be, you're in danger of your love waxing cold and denying the things that God has opened your mind to. He that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Not he who gives up or goes away. Now, the force of it here is also that endures in love, because that's the subject. Iniquity will abound, and the love of many will wax cold. If people are turning cold, it's because there's some iniquity or some selfishness involved in some way or some form. Has to be. But he that shall endure in that love is what is implied by the context the same shall be saved. 
doesn't let it wax cold, doesn't let selfishness get in the way, or pride or vanity or ego or personality or whatever it is that we let get in our way, cannot be. Some use me as a stumbling block or an excuse. Can't do it. The knowledge is in this book. The knowledge came from God. Now, if you want to use me for an excuse, that's easy. I can give you even more reasons why you could use me for an excuse. I know me better probably than you do. Uh, I know Marla could probably give you plenty of reasons to be offended at me that uh, even I might not know. Well, she's told me a lot of them. I say that tongue-in-cheek in a way. No, she's there. She knows me. She lives with me. Uh, she sees me uh, under all conditions. And uh, she knows me better than you do. Still loves me anyway. Sometimes I don't know why, but she does. And I'm thankful for that. But if you want to use me for an excuse, man, I can give you a long list of reasons why you shouldn't listen to me. Or get offended at me. Or use me personally as a reason why you're so upset. Well, go for it if you want to. You know, Moses had his problems too. Not that I'm anywhere near what Moses was. But they decided Miriam and Aaron, his own sister and brother, decided that they didn't like what he was doing. Now, whether he was right or wrong in marrying that Ethiopian woman is neither here nor there. If it was okay with God, then they were falsely accusing. If it wasn't okay with God and they saw such, <coughs> then they were accusing of something that he did that was actually wrong. And that may have been the case. I don't know. It's not my point to answer that question. The point is, God had chosen Moses to do the job that Moses was doing. And God had all the capacity he needed on heaven and, in heaven and on earth to take care of Moses and whatever problems Moses might have had. And it wasn't Miriam and Aaron's job to sit around and stir up trouble and let their discontent be known and stab him in the back and do that kind of thing. And he let them know quite severely what his attitude toward that was. You know, things like leprosy. And they had better repent of the attitude they had. Because as he told Samuel, it's not me really, or not you, Samuel, that they're denying, it's me. And ultimately that's true. You know, we can sit around and talk about love all we want and listen to this and that about love. But if we sit around and say, well, those people don't have love, what are we doing? We're using love as a club. We're using love as a weapon to put people down by saying they don't have enough love. That is backstabbing. So you can take a good sermon about love and then turn it around and use it as a weapon of war against those that you ought to be showing love to instead of stabbing it in the back or hitting over the head with negativity. Come on. 
Let's understand. What he's warning about here is so easy to happen, is it not? We'd better not let our pride, our ego, our way of looking at things, or the false or perceived false or imagined false we see in others, let us become negative and putting people down. That is what tears a congregation apart. That is what tears a congregation apart. Now you can go to Ezekiel 34 and Jeremiah 23 and Malachi and blame it all on the ministry as much as you want to. And the ministry had plenty of egg on its face and so have I. But the real cause of the trouble is when we persecute one another from within. That's what causes the falling of their responsibility. And they need to be sure that they follow Ezekiel 34 and Jeremiah 23 and all those things and order their responsibility and accountability and actions on it as well as First and Second Timothy and other pastoral uh, things that Paul and Christ wrote in other places. We have our responsibility, but you have yours too. So the problems in a congregation don't all fall on the elders and the minister by any means. And you can look upon yourself as a lost sheep all you want to do, or want to. But sometimes those lost sheep are not lost sheep. The rebellious goats who are using love as a weapon instead of as a tool to draw close, we tear apart. We had better as a minister, others as elders, and all of us as human beings within the church. Each and every one of us has a personal responsibility. And if you want to blame it on somebody else, you can. And like I said, go for it. But it's not going to get you anything but pain and misery and separation. And it is going to cause you all kinds of distress. And you may find yourself at some point fighting God. And that is a battle you do not want to pick, brethren. You do not want to pick it. And these are Christ's own words here. This is a very severe warning of something that will occur right at the end. Of what will happen to the church, and in that sense the church is, are those that God called out under Herbert Armstrong, and then begins to sort through and choose to be gathered together to do the end time work. So he says, be careful that your love endures, your attitude of love, and that you don't let people begin to cause you to be offended. It is a great danger. And that's why he concentrates on it right here. So I say these things, not angrily, but hopefully in love. That we will see the instruction that is given here, and that we will head off and or stop any problems that we may have begun to have, that we'll repent, that we'll change our course, that we'll go the way we ought to go and show real love instead of feigned love. 
because you can speak sweetly and carry a knife of some form around quite easily. It is human to do so. It is not walking in the Spirit, it is walking in the flesh. And walking in the flesh is what gets us into trouble and thinking fleshly rather than the way God does. You know, God loves all people, even sinners. And it is the sinners that He called out of this world. He gave His Son for all of them. He gave it for you and for me. And we need to grasp that. God gave His Son that everyone in this room might be saved. And God personally chose each and every one of us here who has been called into, understands the truth, has been baptized as part of God's church. He has individually, personally, by name and personality, selected each and every one of us as His special child to be a candidate to be part of the Bride of Christ. That's what the first fruits are. Others in the second resurrection or the millennium will have a different opportunity, but not to be the bride. They'll be part of the family, the children of God. But we here are called to be the bride of Christ. Now think about that in light of what we've been discussing here. Christ has betrothed us to him, each one of us here. And he looks upon us as the apple of his eye, his bride-to-be. The one wearing his ring, if you will. And he is very jealous of his bride. Very jealous of his bride. Therefore, if we lay our tongue on his bride, he gets upset. And he will only so long tolerate that. Do we grasp? Do we understand? Do we realize the implications here? It is so easy for us to lay our tongue on each other, isn't it? It is so easy to put each other down or to criticize rather than to uplift and to strengthen and to help and to encourage. That's the Spirit the love, the joy, the peace, the kindness, the gentleness. But we may say somebody else doesn't have love while we lay into them with our tongue. And we're not showing love when we do that, are we? We become the worst offender when we use that kind of weapon against somebody. To use feigned love while we stab in the back is using the greatest gift of all which is love, is a weapon. Now how can we take the greatest gift that God has given human beings through His Spirit and use it as a weapon against each other? We're not just throwing the word gossip out here as something that is an easy term to use and to ignore and to go ahead and do. It's as easy as falling off a log, isn't it? It just comes natural. It's the way of the flesh. So let's take it to a higher level. Let's take it to 
the greatest gift ever given. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. Where we are concerned for one another, we help one another, and one of the greatest ways of showing love is to keep our acid, negative, critical tongue off of each other. You are speaking out any time you, I, we, criticize one another and put each other down in whatever form. We're laying our tongue on the most beloved of people that God has called out to be the very bride of His Son. There cannot be a more privileged group of people than those. To be part of that first fruits, 144,000, puts us in the most favored group of people ever to walk the earth. Hebrews 11 gives a short list of a few from the Old Testament who are included. And we are candidates to fill out the number now, here at the end. So if we would bear that in mind, if we would internalize that, not just listen to it and forget about it and go on the way we've been. You know what? That's going to lead to falling away. That is going to lead to being offended, taking offense, and leaving. You know, there's two sides to that offense coin. It says, do not give offense. Do not cause offense. That is a very important responsibility. And we need to all be very aware of it. And what I'm talking about here is one of the greatest ways we do it is using our tongues on one another. And sometimes the offenses can be real. Sometimes we're falsely accusing. It doesn't matter. Either way we do it, like Miriam and Aaron, whether it's true or not true, we still have no right to do it because we're putting our tongue upon the ones that God has called. And he says that he will punish those who do such. Might as well have a millstone tied around our neck. So we're not to give offense. But the other side of that coin is he says, do not take offense. And he says, if you have the love of God, the true love of God, you will not take offense. So giving it or taking it, either way, is contrary to God's way. And it is contrary to the way of love. So whether we offend, offend or whether we give offense or take offense, we're wrong either way. Neither is the way of love. So when we start defining love in our minds and we decide who has love and who doesn't have love, we're making a judgment that is only God's judgment to make. Our only thing is to show love. That's the only thing we can do. We cannot criticize those who do not have as much as we think they ought to have because by saying that or making that judgment, we're showing we don't have enough ourselves. See, see how that works? If we're critical of them, 
it is proving that we don't have it ourselves. Okay? That's what he's talking about here. We all need to repent, brethren. I'm not talking to one or two or three people here who might take offense and think I'm talking about them. I'm not. I'm talking about every last one of us. Because we're all part of a family here. And we need to keep this family together by showing love and helping one another and strengthening one another rather than weakening and putting people off and causing offense by talking about them not having enough love. We are showing hatred when we do that instead of love. We think it's love, but it isn't. We can be deceived very easily in thinking we have it, but they don't. Do not be deceived. None of us have enough love. I'll grant you that. I don't. I'm praying God will give me more. It is the greatest thing that we can possibly have. And therefore, since we act so carnally and think so humanly so often... We obviously don't have enough. So if somebody says there's not enough love around here, hey, maybe they're right. <laughs> you know, can't say they're wrong. But is it helping it to criticize? Or do we instead do everything we possibly can to help it grow? I didn't intend to spend this much time on this today, but I did ask God to inspire what was said, and that was asked in the prayer as well at the beginning. And I don't think there's any greater subject or any greater danger for the entire church here at the end than what Christ says here. Because selfishness or lawlessness, and they're pretty much one and the same, shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. And they'll hate one another and betray one another in the final analysis before it's all done. You see, once you let criticism, once you let negativity, once you let bitterness in the door, even in a small amount, it will grow and it will grow and it will feed on itself. And if you get around people who feel the same way, it will grow faster. That's why he said, don't be around an angry man. Stay away from anger. Stay away from bitterness. Don't go around it. Don't be around negativity, because it will cause it to grow in you. But we tend to be, as humans, birds of a feather, and we tend to flock together with those who have the same attitude we do. If it be positive, we'll be around those who are positive. If it be negative, we'll be around those who are negative. Now, God is not negative, And we need to stay away from negativity. It says, when the, the tail-bearer departs, the strife ceases. So we need to stay away from tail-bearers and the strife will cease. They got nobody who will listen to them. 
That's how you fix it. And you fix it by A, not listening, and by B, showing positive encouragement and making positive comments. Bitterness overtook Esau, and he became so bitter that he could not repent, even with weeping and tears. He hated himself for the attitudes that he had. But they had gotten so deeply ingrained, he couldn't get rid of them. And Paul tells us, man, whatever you have to do, don't let yourself get in that attitude where you can't get over something or pass something and let it fester until it pops. I say these things in love, brethren. I want every one of you to be in the kingdom of God. I want you to be glorified. I want you to be the bride of Christ. And if we let ourselves tear ourselves apart and chew on each other like wolves, it will split us and destroy us. I'm telling you the solution here to the problem. Christ is telling us the solution. I'm just reading it. He says, this is going to happen in my church. And we've seen the whole church fly apart and the love of many wax cold. And we're going to see some of those when their lives are threatened, betray and offend one another to the death. And I've said all along, it can happen here if we do not walk in the Spirit, if we do not put God first, and if we let our little attitudes and our little personal problems and various things get in each other's way, we will let a root of bitterness grow. And you know what happens when a root grows? A root can grow and grow until it comes to the point it can break concrete. A root is not as hard as concrete. But I've seen trees grow right through concrete and break it all apart. So a root of bitterness, small as it may start, just a little negative attitude, just a little thing that bothers me, that offends me on whatever level, <coughs> can grow and grow. And we can feed it, and we can let others feed it, and we can feed on each other until we get into such a bad attitude that we can't stand it anymore. And then we blame others for it. That's sad. Well, let's not go there. Let's not be there. And if we've let any of it affect us to any degree, let's repent of it. Let's get over it. Let's get past it. Because I'll guarantee you, I'm talking to everybody here, not a few. Every last one of us has shown a lack of love. And every last one of us here has used our tongue on each other. Every one of us here is guilty. Every human being on this planet is guilty of a lack of love and of too much human nature and negativity and sin and selfishness. Herbert Armstrong preached give instead of get over and over and over and over. And then he'd say, brethren, you're not getting it. You know what? 
Brethren, we weren't getting it. We still ain't got it. It's a work in progress. I don't want you to go about it here uh, like you've been kicked in the stomach. I don't want you going out of here feeling down. I want us to literally look at what Christ says are the reasons for any cracks and disparity and difficulty we see. Any division that begins to occur has its basis on these few verses we're talking about right here. It has to be some form of it. Some form of selfishness, pride, vanity, ego, taking offense at others whom God loves. Now, God knows every last one of us here sins. He knows every last one of us makes mistakes. But you cannot blame your attitude on anybody else. There are people who, bring, who blame their attitudes on their physical father, their physical mother, their physical brother or sister. Now, you may have some of those attitudes. They may have become part of you because of what you suffered. Okay? I'm not saying they don't have an effect on you. Because they do have sometimes a terrible effect on you. But, that does not need to remain. In fact, it must not remain. As the twig is bent, so grows the tree. Therefore, we find ourselves bent this way and bent that way and crooked limbs on us, and we're not what we ought to be. Okay, let's admit it. Let's not blame father, mother, brother, sister, neighbor, the boy down the street who bullied us, or whatever. Let's just accept the reality of what we are. We can't blame anybody. Now, they may have had a hand in it. But you see, God called us out of that. God gave us His Spirit for what? reason that we be converted that we be changed that we not be the way we've been anymore I see people who go through life blaming what they are on who they've been around or whatever was done to them that made them the miserable way they are and you can't do that or you'll stay that way. You'll never get past it. That's why God gave us His Spirit, so that we might be transformed, converted, changed, not be the way we were or still are. You see, His Spirit can cause us to change, to be different, and not have the attitudes we've had in the past. We can be transformed. It doesn't matter what we've been through. It can be child molestation. 
It can be murder. It can be any kind of emotional abuse. It can be racism, which is an abuse. It can be any of those things. And whether done to us or we do to somebody else, to those and about a thousand other things I might name, just a few things that come to mind, we can choose not to get past those things or we can choose to get over them. And the only way that that can be done if the scars and the ruts in our minds are deep enough is through the transformation of the Spirit of God in our minds. We need to be in the kingdom of God. What's this all for otherwise? Why are we here? What are we doing? Is this a charade? Are we playing games? Are we coming here and sitting in this hall and listening, a few of us, and then going our way? Or are we listening very deeply to the warning Christ gave here and saying, I am not going to be selfish. I am not going to react carnally. I am going to have the true love of God and I am going to curtail my thoughts. I'm going to change my thoughts. I'm going to get over any negativity, any bad attitudes, any grudges, any wrongs that have done, been done me. Because Christ died that I might be forgiven and therefore I am going to do as he did and forgive also from the heart not keep score, not maintain attitudes of negativity, I'm going to show the true love of God that is of an unfeigned heart and innocent as a little child. A little child does not feign love. It is something that is natural. We as we get older, learn to be evasive. We learn to hide our true feelings and emotions, or try to. We learn to be duplicitous. We learn to smile in someone's face and stab them in the back. That's why Christ said, don't be like adult human beings, be like a little child who's honest and sincere. He may have a bad attitude, but he's sincerely honest about it. He may have a good attitude, but he's sincerely honest about it. He hasn't learned to cover it or hide it as we have. So we need to be true and we need to be honest with ourselves and with others. Admit where our attitudes are wrong and get busy changing them. That's what we're here for. Now, preparing the bride of Christ, and I think that is the job right now. <coughs> it's not calling the world. God is not calling the world, or the world would be answering. <coughs> he's already called us. Now he's choosing the bride. And he wants a bride who is full of kindness and gentleness and love and mercy and willingness to change diapers. For the whole world that survives into the millennium. 
There are going to be an awful lot of sinners there that we're going to have to be very kind and merciful to. And at the same time, hardened where we need to be. I didn't come here to speak gently. I am, for the most part. But I'm talking about some very hard things here, brethren. I am. It's not easy to be transformed. It's not easy to be converted. It is a tough chore. It's easy to talk about emotional love or nice feelings. But for us to change our carnal, selfish, human nature and to actually treat each other with kindness and love and get our tongues off of each other in a negative way is a tough chore. He said, you're a perfect man if you control your tongue. No man can control the tongue. All right, shall we just all give up? <laughs> no. No man can control his tongue. But with enough prayer and enough work through the Spirit of God, great progress can be made. We can change. Now, I heard somebody just recently, wasn't in our group, but I heard somebody just recently make a comment. Why don't people leave me alone? All I want to do is read the Bible. I can't get along or be around people. And I didn't say it, but I thought, what's the Bible for? It's there to teach us how to get along with people. And if we read the Bible and read the Bible and read the Bible and we don't get, learn to get along with people, the Bible study isn't doing us a bit of good. Because the purpose of the Bible is to teach us how to get along with one another so that we can know how to get along with God. He says, the way you treat each other, I take personally, and I don't care how sweet your thoughts might be toward God if you treat people badly, shabbily, negatively. He says, that's your attitude toward me whether you know it or not. So let's don't let our background determine our future. We all got bad things in our background. Every last one of us. Okay? Things that have been done to us, things that we have done to ourselves, that have made us the miserable, wretched, stinking, rotten mass of flesh that we happen to be. Every one of us. Thankfully, through God, is salvation. That He can take everyone in this room, and some who are not in this room, but I'm speaking mainly to you in the room. Every last one of us here, brethren, is here for a reason. You would not be here unless God brought you here. Now what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? I'm laying down the gauntlet. We're going to listen to this and go have roast preacher? Or are we going to listen to it and forget it? Let it go off us like water off a duck's back? Or will we say, you know, I hate to admit it, but that's right. We all have needs. We need to get busy repenting and being transformed in the Holy Spirit to think like God thinks instead of like human beings do. 
You know, if we'll take that as a personal challenge individually, not complain about each other not having faith or love or good conduct or treating us badly or treating somebody badly or whatever, but take it personally. And each and every one of us walk out of here and go talk to God about our attitudes and tell Him, you know, I blame this on my dad, blame this on my mom, blame this on the devil, but it's where I am. Help me, God, to come to have a positive, loving, outgoing attitude I need. This is probably the biggest pitfall before the church today, the whole church, because it's what Christ talks about. And we can get ourselves in a bad attitude over any number of reasons or any number of people. <coughs> but you know what? It's not valid. We do not deserve a bad attitude. We cannot commiserate with ourselves and feel sorry for ourselves for a bad attitude. We just have to go to God who has a good attitude and get over it instead of hanging around with those who might have bad attitudes and making ours worse. You know, sometimes we think, if I'll just say it to somebody, I'll get it off my chest. You know what? You don't get it on your ch off your chest. You just make it go deeper. And you also help people to get it on their chest. Sometimes what we think we're doing is helping. My wife tells me I don't hear enough or well enough that I need a hearing aid. Sometimes she blames me for not listening, but sometimes she says you're not hearing either. Well, you know what I do? Once in a while I take a Q-tip and I try to swab the wax out of my ears. So finally I broke down the other day at Costco and I went into the hearing section. I said, maybe I ought to have a hearing test. I'm going overseas, blah, blah, blah. And they have different accents. And if you have a little bit of hard of hearing, uh, accents are much harder to understand. So I said, I need a hearing test. So the gal there put this little light in my ear. And there was a TV screen there. And there's this great big wad of wax in both ears. She says, we can't even give you a hearing test till you get that wax out of there. Oh. Well, you know, I've been cultivating that wax in there for part of seven decades now. So it must be pretty thick and pretty deep. I says, well, I use a Q-tip once in a while to try to get the wax out. She says, all you're doing is driving it further in. Well, you mean that what I thought was helping me is hurting me? That I think if I can go get something off my chest, it'll be off it? How's that working for you? All it does is drive it deeper and spread it to others so that it might go deeper into them. And it takes us all further from God and from His kingdom. So sometimes we think we're accomplishing something that might work for us, and actually we're doing just the opposite. I thought I was being good, trying to get the wax out of my ears. She says, no, nah, you just drove it further in your head. You know, my, my, my whole head may be full of it for all I know. <laughs> Sometimes I think it's that or something in there. I don't know. But whatever. I guess that's as far as we're going to get today. And I didn't mean necessarily to stay there, but maybe God 
caused me to. I, I hope that we can take seriously what has been covered today because it is a major warning about the end time that Christ gave the whole church. So take it in that spirit and let's, let's not fall away. Let's not be bitter. <coughs> let's not let ourselves be pulled under by human nature and selfishness and pride and ego. But let's get rid of those things and honor and respect and be kind and gentle with one another in love. And we will then grow together toward God's kingdom instead of tearing ourselves apart. Because, as I said earlier, division primarily comes from within. That's why God hates it so much. Persecution from the outside draws us together. Persecution from the inside tears us apart. So let us be careful and let us be converted, be transformed, be changed. Why go out of here being just like we've been? That ain't working for us, is it? That's not working for us. Let's do something that works. And the only thing that will work is the Spirit of God, I'll guarantee you. So let's go there.